Welcome back to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. How are you doing? So this week we have Jeff MacArthur. So Jeff is a multi-instrumentalist from uh, Victoria. He plays tenor banjo, mandolin, guitar. He's a singer, songwriter. He does it all. He does. He, he does. He does. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, we were lucky enough to meet Jeff then at the Croy Lake School. And the Lake School, it's called the Lake School of Irish Music and Dance, I'm pretty sure is the full name for it. And it's a five-day program that happens down in a place called Coroit, which is in the west of Victoria, a small village. And essentially, it's a, the program is a whole load of um, workshops and classes for young kids and adults. And then in the evening, it's just session central. There's music happening everywhere. It's such a great uh, atmosphere and a great opportunity for anyone that can get down to it. Jeff's involvement down there is actually with a thing called the Stars of the Lake. There's a handful of young players chosen each year and they get mentored for Jeff over the full week. And that's for them to become a band and learn how to harmonize, how to arrange, how to anything that they might need to know from stagecraft to actually using a PA. They go through it all, which is fantastic. Um, Jeff doesn't necessarily do all of that bit, but he's the one mentoring them through it all so it's a great opportunity and if you look back at the the caliber of talent that's come through that program it's pretty amazing so you can kind of get what kind of character jeff is just by his track record of the people he's put through there before we get into the chat itself though uh, next saturday which is january the 18th for those of you listening in the far future um this is 2020 we're talking about there's the first of a series of three fundraisers for wildfire relief happening at the last jar on Elizabeth Street in Melbourne. And there's going to be a load of great musicians. Tola Custy from Ireland, Maggie Carty and Martine Staunton, uh, Maria Hannan from Melbourne, Cathy Custy, Chris Fitzgerald's playing, Ido Barker, several former Who's guests on the show. So anyway, that starts at five in the afternoon on Saturday the 18th and all fans from ticket sales, Karma Kegs. I don't even know what a Karma Keg is. Do you know what a Karma Keg is? Did um, Culture Club sing about them? They did. Yeah. <laughs> so karma kegs. There you go. Raffles and auctions will pass directly to the Country Fire Authority. So all being well, next week's episode of the Blarney Pilgrims will be a recording of that gig, which is very exciting. It's just totally brilliant to be able to be part of that. And all the money we raise from patrons for that episode will also go to the Country Fire Authority. So that's just to let you know. Check out The Last Jar on Facebook for more details, or you can probably get some of that in our show notes too. And now, here is Jeff MacArthur. Enjoy. MacArthur, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims. Yes, yeah, thank you for having me here. All right, so what was that? That was a band dance, mm-hmm. um, a band dance I learnt from Hammy Hamilton, flute player, 
and off his CD, Money Musk, I think it was called. And it's called, <coughs> excuse me, If There Weren't Any Women in the World. Yeah. <laughs> Great title. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, barn dancers. Uh, I was just talking to um, Darren before. I'm not quite sure the difference between a barn dance and a hornpipe, but... Mm-hmm. I was asking one of those awkward questions. <laughs> oh, there's lots of those coming down the, coming down Usually the lane. Usually it's because of title, it's got barn dance. <laughs> um, so so uh, one thing, that hearing the mandolin there, first off, and the tone of that mandolin, right? Uh, when we spoke on the phone, this is a bit of a digression, but when we spoke on the phone, we were talking about Ry Cooter. <laughs> that mandolin sound sounds very like you think? Ry Cooter on the... Um, this is a beautiful Into mandolin. the Purple Valley. Yeah, which we Billy's a kid. We were chatting about yeah, an yeah, amazing yeah. mandolin playing on it. So, what mandolin is it? This is a Peter Daffy mandolin. Peter Daffy's a great musician and luthier who lives in Camperdown. Yes, I thought that's and, uh, a lot of uh, people are lucky enough to play his guitars and mandolins. And this one, um, I asked him to build one based on a beautiful mandolin that Luke Plum, you might know, Luke, mm-hmm. a great mandolin player. Luke's had his, I think, 15, 20 years or something. So this is. The same design as that. It's quite firm sounding. It sounds it's, like quite a firm tone. And yeah, it's pretty heavy. Well, Luke's put me onto these heavier strings that, right. um, that than we usually put on them. And I like to use like a bluegrass pick, so mm-hmm. no flex at all, so that which just gives a free round sort of full tone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so <coughs> we're here in Koroit. We are. During the Lake School um, sort of five-day, what is it, a mini festival? Well, it's, I think... The Lakes School, um, Felix Mars, the director, can probably tell you more about this, but he, he initiated this, he and his wife Christine, and it was based on what was happening in the summer schools in Ireland, you know, Willie Clancy and things like that, and to have something similar here, so something in the, the summer school holidays, and they started it, I think, about 18, 19 mm-hmm. years ago or something like that in Coroit, which has got a pretty strong Irish heritage, and um, it's sort of grown and developed. They started with just a few tutors, and it's sort of become quite an institution and, and you're now a, you're a tutor here what, are, a tutor what are you tutoring now. yeah I'm a tutor I've been a tutor probably here for 15 years in a, a specific project which we might talk about in a moment but I originally came here as a student um, with a friend of mine Peter Blenkheim we both from Ballarat and um, we'd sort of met at a session up there and um, I'd been playing guitar and a bit of mandolin and really wanted to play the fiddle and wanted to find out where I could learn that and Peter was playing baron wanted to play the whistle so we found this flyer or something, I think, for the Lake School, and just on a whim, we decided we didn't even know each other that well. We thought we'd come down here and camp and do that. And I went to the fiddle classes, and Peter went to the whistle classes. And neither of us played those instruments much anymore. <laughs> but um, we met a whole lot of great people and sort of stuck around. And uh-huh. So what was your first... I mean, not first contact with Irish music, but I mean, I'm, I don't know if you can even... Irish music actually came quite late. Uh, in my advanced years, I'm in my 60s now, but I didn't get into Irish music till I was in my 40s, probably. Um, had a brief sort of flirtation with it sort of early on, and um, I was a primary school teacher for mm-hmm. many. I've just retired recently and uh, worked in primary schools for years. And back in the early 80s, we... Had a, and I've heard this on your podcast, that the bush music thing was happening. And one of the things that it, it did was brought bush dancing into the primary schools as a, for part of the phys ed options or something. And I was asked to do it in the primary school. I was working in the moment at, at that time. And uh, the best resource around was the bushwhackers tapes where they'd recorded these sets of dances and a book that went with it that had all the dances. Called, and that you could get a second tape that had the calls on it. 
Mm-hmm. So they'd tell you when to move. And so I ran that for a phys ed program. But I've got these tunes in my head. This is back in the uh, sort of early 80s, I guess. And didn't know anything about Irish tunes, but I got these tunes in my head and bought a cheap mandolin and, and sort of started to learn the by ear. I'd been playing guitar since I was 16, so I could sort of um, find the notes and things. And eventually learned a few of the, the tunes, but had no idea until I started to read that book that they were like different tunes. I could just hear this music going on. It was like four tunes bolted together to make a, a set and the keys were changing that. So I started to get a sense of how... It, I couldn't read music. And I was telling Darren before, I, I kind of taught myself to read music by learning these tunes by ear and then looking at the, <laughs> the notes in the book and sort of... Eventually, <laughs> was, I was in my 30s or something and so I sort of... This weird way of learning it's to It's like read a reverse it. methodology. Really, it is. It? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's weird you mentioned the... Learning the tunes or hearing the tunes and not knowing that there are a set of tunes. Like I remember mm. being like that too. It's it, one of those fundamentals that I think when you're close to the music, you don't realise that it's people need to learn it. Like a jig and a reel. People use those terms, but most people don't know what that means. Most people don't know that there's a set of tunes. I didn't know until embarrassingly recently that, yeah. that, that that's how it's done. Because, because I had no musical training at that time, not the jig and reel thing, I could see that one said 6-8 and one said 4-4, four, four, but it meant nothing. Mm. Um, so it took a while to sort of for that to get into. You start to pick it out and eventually it sort of fell into place. But then, then I sort of, <laughs> my mandolin, one of the kids, something happened to one of my mandolin and it broke, so I sort of didn't even think about it for another 10 years. And... Um, when I was always playing music, I always played you know, um, different band, played sort of bluegrass, a lot of blues and rock and roll and um, R&B and that sort of stuff. So I was always playing something and then went to Port Ferry probably mid-90s or something and just saw a couple of acts there that just completely blew me away and um, suddenly I said, well, I've got to really get back into this and listen to it. And, yeah. Do you remember who it was that I you saw? I certainly do. Yeah, yeah the, the first time was I'd gone to bed um, early one night in a campground and I heard this amazing sort of rhythm. It was tunes, but the rhythm behind it was just absolutely staggering. So I was like, get out of bed and go back and check that out. And it, <laughs> it was Lunasa. Uh-huh. And they were just rocking the place. And um, and the, the guitar, Donna Hennessy was on guitar in those days and... Um, Trevor, I can't remember Trevor, the, um, Trevor Hutchinson, the mm-hmm. bass player, and it was just the swing and that. You know, so you had the tune players, Kevin Crawford and Sean Smith, but just the swing that was coming off that accompaniment. And as a guitarist, I just got captured by that. And uh, so went and saw them and a few other gigs here. Then a year or so later, um, Martin Hayes showed up, and I hadn't heard him before. He, it was before Dennis Cale played with him. I think he was with Randall Bass or someone in those days. But that that was just another experience just to hear I didn't really understand the structure of the tunes but just the way the tunes evolved you know like you play them through once and then suddenly we just bought it I think he had three CDs so I just bought the lot uh-huh. <laughs> and that he's still sort of number one for me not everyone's cup of tea Martin no, no that's interesting so we're talking here about Martin Hayes for people who are not familiar with this Martin Hayes is a fiddle player from is he from Clare yeah and um I don't know, how would you characterise his style? He, he's, he's quite, I wouldn't say he's experimental, but he does sort of stretch tunes a lot. And he, he stretches the tunes, yeah. I, I don't really know how to describe it. I do know that he's got training in music outside the tradition. He was part of the Tullacaley band with his father, so he's grounded yep. in that. But I think he sort of played, he, he spent time in Seattle. And that's he did, he lived there, I, I lived yeah. there too, and, and yeah. sort of 
and got involved, I think, even in the jazz scene or something. So. Yeah, yeah. But he does push the limits. You know, he's got the gloaming mm. and yeah. uh, the Martin Hayes quartet with the oboe and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that for I me love is it. the best. That is... But not everyone will agree with us. So what... <laughs> I am familiar with this feeling. What, I don't want to put you on the spot, but why do you think other people don't like it? Um, Rather than why you like it. I, well, I guess... I've been involved in the sort of the Melbourne and Victorian Irish music scene for a few years now. There's still some who, who like it. You don't hear the expression much, but I think it's about the pure drop, yeah, okay. you know, that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I just if, I think if it feels good and it sounds good, oh, all tradition started somewhere, and then they, and, tradi- and traditional music grows, and people throw new things in there. Yeah. And was there, was there a particular thing about his plan? Yeah, the expression. Because the thing that I associate with him, um, I should have said he's a fiddle player as well for people who don't know, is the swing in his... Swing. There seems to be like a swing. It's almost... Yeah. But the expression on the phrases, like he got literally got the ability from me. I saw him once. He came to Ballarat with Dennis uh, and played in a church there, uh, unamplified, and literally made the hair on the back of your neck stand up when he the way he expressed some phrases. Like mm. it was almost like a sort of unhuman power with an instrument <laughs> yeah. to actually have a, a physical effect on yeah. him. He yeah. feels like he can shift time yeah. like within the, the micro moments. You, yeah. And that's where the real emotion sits from, for me. I think we obviously feel the same about yeah. it. Yeah, but and then to, 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 learn, to learn more about the tunes and the structure of tunes. And he, he came here, he came to the Lake School maybe 10 years ago and did workshops and played in the hot and did a workshop and... Um, he probably played fiddle for five minutes out of the hour. He talked, and everyone you could have had a pin drop because he talked about how he'd learnt the tunes in Clare and how these tunes were written by cow farmers, you know, and that sort of thing. That these beautiful, amazing melodies. And yeah. so, so then for your for your own learning, uh, those two things, Lunasa, uh, Poor Ferry, and then seeing Martin Hayes, sort of turned you towards Irish yeah. music. Well, like, like specifically, like kind of targeting it and kind yeah. of. Got back to Byron and said, well, what am I going to do about this? There's not much happening. And then I did see there was an Irish session advertised in uh, the Irish pub in Ballarat. So I'll go and have a look. And there were a fiddle player, a banjo player, two fiddle players. And it sounded fantastic. And, it's like, this is... and I didn't recognise any of them. And um, they'd come up from... The fiddle player was uh, Tony Hunt and his daughter Erin. And they started this session in... In Ballarat, Tony was a, a, an original member of the Bushwhackers and the Colonials, and lived up around Greendale Way. But they had with them this guy playing banjo who was fantastic. It was Johnny Fitzgerald, um, Paddy's brother, who passed away sadly a couple of years ago. So I sort of sat and listened, and then got to meet them. They said, "I'll bring your guitar next week." So I brought the guitar in. I didn't have a clue. You know, like it just <laughs> it was just all over the place, and then I sort because I didn't understand the structure. I didn't understand. I, couldn't pick the keys. Now, I've been playing guitar for like twenty years, but it's sort of beyond me. Yeah. So, uh, what did what did that feel like? Ah, oh, very, you know, humbling. Because you thought I play the guitar, I can just jump in on this, but you can't. You got to know. And I remember asking Tony uh, what key this is in, and you know, he said he said politely, he said, "Well, if you know what key it's in, what are you trying to play it for?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, would you like to play another tune for us now? I can. What do I yeah, let's have a look. I'll play. Um, I might save the real slide. This is a, uh, a 
hornpipe. Um, I mentioned Luke Plum before, who I think is my number one exponent of uh, Irish music on the mandolin in, in Australia. But he, he, he um, produced an album a few years ago called Splendid Notion, just all Irish music on the mandolin, just with percussion. And I got taken with this tune, uh, a hornpipe called a peacock's feather. So I'll give it a go. Peacock's feather. The peacock's feather. Yeah, it's a funny story. You know about Fergal Scales Tuna Day? Uh, yes, I have seen that. Yeah. And he did, he's done it two years. He just finished his second year, and the first year he did it, he asked for requests. So I said, I loved. I, said, I wanted to hear him play the peacock's feather. So I emailed it in, and about and it came up, and he's the, the so, peacock. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and he so he's going to dedicate this tune to me, Jeff McCarthy in Australia. And it, apparently there's two versions of it. Oh, no. <laughs> so he played this tune and it was, I didn't recognise it. You go, what's that? <laughs> That's the, that one's a minor key one. He played this major key thing that is completely unrecognisable to me. So anyway, it's dedicated to me. But I... So this is a just um, this is a, a guy who on Facebook yeah, who posts a Trinity, yeah. um, which is an incredible and feat. He's out of Wee Banjo 3 and, and he take tours like through the States and all that sort of stuff. And wherever he is, he sort of picks up like and plays a tune a day. He's done it. He did it two years ago, had a year off, and he's just finished the second year of it. Uh, I, I have to admit, when I see his posts come up on my social feeds, I get a, a huge pang of guilt over <laughs> 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 oh, doing this podcast. <laughs> I think, oh my God, we're doing so much. And then I see this guy, and he's just every day, every day, yeah. brilliant. Oh. And he played tune in Iceland or something. Yeah. 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 So, so for your own... Um, for your own kind of growth in Irish music then? So you're, you're going to this session and you, yeah. you're starting oh, yeah. to feel like you're, oh, what's going on here? There was a big... I, I was listening to, like, uh, the Lunas of CDs, and I think, these guys are doing something different. 
So I was, this is coinciding with the early days of the internet. <laughs> you know, so I, so I got got onto whatever the I don't think Google was even around then. Whatever yeah. came in NetSpace or something. Oh, past Jeeves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. And um, <laughs> did a bit of research and found ah, they're using different tunings. So right. that was sort of like the big penny dropping. Uh-huh. And uh, the, most of them were using Dadgad, of uh-huh. course. So uh, not all of them. I don't think Trev- um, Donna Hennessy used Dadgad. But so started to play around with that and downloaded some. A lot of research went into it, and then started to then went back in and sort of played with those guys, and it all started to sort of come together. Just playing Dadgad backing, then starting to know the tunes better, and yeah. so I did. You know, I didn't know I couldn't play the tune. I didn't wasn't playing a tune instrument at all at that stage. Still didn't have another mandolin, so just learnt to recognise the tunes, but through sheer repetition. Every Sunday they played Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. We played in Irish Murphys in Ballarat until we sort of built up a repertoire learnt to when the changes were and so forth. And Did you have anyone to lead you at all? No. No, right, good no, it's my own sort of... No, there's no other guitarist. Oh, there were, but no one's playing in Dad Gary. And um, so I just sort of figured it out. And, um, and did, did, did the experience of, um, of starting to feel comfortable with that music... Did, did it um, have any resonance with your experiences of, of playing other kinds of music, like blues and things like that? Because it's, it's um, interesting how those experiences intersect, you know? Yeah, I mean, and I kept playing those things. Like, at the same time as I was doing that, I think I was playing, it's probably around the same time as the commitments were out, and we were all playing, playing like in an R&B band and things like that. So I was always, I've always played other types of music at the same time. There is a bit of an intersection, I think. Sometimes to your own detriment I think sometimes you get the evil eye at the sessions if you get a bit too much rock and roll in there <laughs> it's still you can't help it so. aye, aye. <laughs> that's the thing aye. but um, yeah I, I think the other thing that happened that's really important in sessions is I got to know those people at the session better so not only their music but the people mm-hmm. and you started to relax around them and have different conversations and sort of because that's just, just as important as the music you're playing. So mm-hmm. I got to know Johnny and Tony and those people and other people who sort of drop in. And so Ballarat, the, the session started to build. That's where I met Peter, who I come here with. And, and that sort of... Um, the other thing I will say is that from very early on, when I was backing tune players, backing mainly Tony, who's a great fiddle player, as I love the fiddle. I, I never even owned one. But... After a while, I realised I want to do what he's doing. I don't want to do this backing thing, and that's sort of been a persistent thing for me all my time in Irish music. I've always been a back because I'm a guitarist, I guess originally, but I always wanted to play the tunes. So, hence the trip down here to Lake School to learn to play the fiddle some years ago, getting new mandolins, tenor banjo, all that sort of stuff. So, so to me, I always want to play the tunes, and more and more over the last few years, that's been the case for me. I've played tunes and done less and less backing right sort of still get called into back occasionally for you know, projects of people you know, a couple of bands I know I'll just play guitar and those and things yeah like yeah. yeah um wh- what is it about tunes that like what is it well I said the Martin Hayes thing is happening and you just understand these they're, they're like like mini like expressions of something you know, yeah yeah every, everyone's different and, and some of them you know appeal to you straight some of them just hear it straight and say I've got to learn it Others, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, but there's some of them you just want to, you know, they just instantly grab you. And you it's and not you an interesting <coughs> moment, though, because like, I, I, um, I, that thing where you, you feel like you want to learn it rather than just listen to it, 
like that tune. I want to mm. learn that tune. I want to be able to do that and, bit. And but, I'm, I'm probably but, like other people who, when you learn a tune, you have a list of tunes you're going to learn. But uh, then something will come along, like the Peacock's Feather I played before. I heard this on the Luke CD. It just like passed everything on the list. Forget them, I'm going to learn that one. Straight to the top. Yeah. So, so some tunes have that ability to just yeah. you know, jump the queue. Does it ever uh, Does it happen with you? I know professionally when I pick music, so in my job I end up picking music for advertisements, yada, yada. And I learned early on never pick a tune or a song that you love because it's, it's going to be destroyed, it's, it's gone. And it happens to me a little bit with when I'm learning banjo where I'll hear a tune and I'll go that's it I'll learn it but then my attachment to the original is 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 changed and I don't go back to it at all it's kind of well I suppose that's when a tune starts living in you a little yeah. bit your, your relationship to it changes Does yeah it? I think so I think um, yeah, something's got to draw you to that tune in the first place and I think it's different for different people oh, there seem to be some tunes that everyone loves I love listening to fiddle but over the years I've increasingly become um really fond of concertina music for some reason I can hear the tunes I wouldn't even know how to hold one mm-hmm. but I can the tunes I can hear really clearly like Mary McNamara and Noel yeah. Hill and people like that so I'll often find the tunes I want to play on their albums or some of the fiddle players I love lots of fiddle players and your process at the moment would be finding tune and then you're just working it out by ear on the month oh no no um, you know since I look um, learn to read music my, my theory and I talk with the kids I work with here is you know whatever it takes <laughs> you know so I don't dismiss the idea of using notation oh some people do I know that but it's a combination of both um, you certainly got to hear it and you've got to love it the sound of it and have the tune in your head but a good setting you know of the session or wherever you might get it by um, can just help you you know I don't trust my ears 100% yeah, you know right. like I'll, I'll get it I'll get you know, maybe more than the bones of it, but I'll get most of it. But sometimes you look at a, a nice setting of it and you say, yeah, that sounds better, <laughs> you know, because someone's got a little phrase in there that you can say. So a combination of ears and notation for me, okay, always. Yeah. Yeah. And I know yeah. other um, people I know, like Sean, I, Sean Keen, I play with a lot, exactly the same. He, he said he used whatever it takes, but he uses notation. and But certainly you've got to hear it. You can't just go through it. Yeah. won't even sound like a tune if you just go from the notation. Yeah. <laughs> For me, at a much kind of less proficient level than yourself, I, I've I've found myself going to written music to try and um, figure out c- kind of the corners of the tune. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. just how to turn yeah. from the first phrase to the second, or yeah. those little bits of connective tissue that are sometimes really yeah. quite intricate, but are are in some ways the key to the to articulating it yeah. properly and look some people well. have better ears than me but I, I can't get some of those things just from listening uh, maybe if it's just one person playing the instrument on their own but usually you're picking up from a CD with backing and mm-hmm. you know there's a fiddle right. concertina together so there's yeah. other things sort of cluttering it up and harmonies in there that sort of throw you off a bit and yeah. that, so. yeah. um, but you've got to be careful there's some pretty ordinary settings that you can find on <laughs> and things like other tunes, yeah, like, right? You got to know which people that post on the session to trust. Now, some the, the session the, meaning yeah, the session dot org or something like that. Yeah, and the, you get this, the website. And um, you see the names of the, the people who put the tunes the on there. Trust Jack B. Jack Brown. Jack. <laughs> oh. He put about two thousand on there, and they're all pretty good. He knows. Right. Yeah. Uh, do, do you fancy doing another tune or a song yeah. right um, now? 
And then I've got some things I want to ask you about. Well, song, yeah. Um, I did. I used to do a lot of songwriting in another, uh, and well, I got into songwriting. I was doing some folk festivals, nothing to do with the Irish stuff, with a a, a woman I from Ballarat, and we played in a duo around the festivals, and we we're doing like covers and things like. That. We weren't getting many gigs, and so we got any original stuff. So, so I will fix that. So, so I wrote songs for her to sing because I didn't was barely singing at all in those days and we did quite well with it we did you know recorded some of the songs and sort of got more festival gigs and things like that so I wrote a bunch of songs for her Angie Browning her name was and um so they got into songwriting that way then we sort of um went on to do separate things I kept the songwriting stuff going and down here at Lake School I met a guy called Dennis O'Keefe who was this he's passed away unfortunately and um great songwriter and he taught songwriting down here but just had good conversations with him around the process of songwriting so I got quite interested in that and had probably about a six or seven year patch where I did a lot of it yeah. and uh, always tried always trying to pitch them to other people rather than have to sing them myself yeah. <laughs> and have a bit of luck with that and it's I haven't done much of it in recent years but um, might give one a go yeah that'd be lovely yeah Every time you call Feel my troubles fall Every word you write Is like a drop of light Every single day In a hundred little ways Everything you do My thoughts are drawn to you No matter how far you wander No matter where you may roam Wherever the road may take you I want you to know Flame you're carrying with you It's yours and it's mine I can see your light forever Yeah, you sparkle and shine the sky till the cold stones bleed and love is all I need till I've drunk my fill till my heart beats still 
Till the last tears cried I'll dream you up by my side No matter how far you wander No matter where you may roam Wherever the road may take you I want you to know flame you're carrying with you it's yours and it's mine i can see your light forever yeah you sparkle and shine i can see your light forever you sparkle and shine Uh, She's only there for a year. <laughs> I know. I was going to say I. Not like you I, have a, I have a daughter who I've not seen for three years, and that's just kind of got me a wee bit there. So there you go. Well, thank you. Does does the job? Yeah. <clears throat> I should probably blow my nose or something. Yeah. It's probably sad that you lost her to all time. Sarah, Sarah's gone over to the yeah. but, but I like all time too. We haven't oh, got okay. to that yet. So I'm very. Um, what I, what I do want to do is just, I know we've been talking about, the, uh, about songwriting, but just, just before we kind of even go further into that, your journey from Ballarat to, yeah. what, what happened when you were from Mando, oh, sorry, for you, you were first on the fiddle, then Mando and yeah. you Ballarat. Well, coming here at Lake School again, I came here to learn the fiddle and, and with limited success. And, um, but... When I came down here, I met another person who was very significant in my development. Met Billy Moran. Billy Moran was teaching accordion, and then those Billy passed, of course. It was a great influence in the early days in the Melbourne Irish scene. Used to run a session every week at um, the Quiet Man in Flemington, Racecourse Road there. And we'd actually, so I met Billy here, and Peter and I became great friends with him. And I started to actually play backing guitar quite. Frequently with Billy, you know, sessions and occasionally a little, little gig here and there, things like that. And we got on really well. And just, uh, I learnt lots about, you know, the rhythm and, and the, the tunes and started to get a better understanding. I still couldn't play them, but just playing with someone who is sort of authentic as Billy, you know, from Galway, playing in a Kaylee band over there. He actually uh, turned me on to Kaylee bands, which a lot of people don't like the sound of Kaylee bands, but I didn't at first. But Billy said, listen to it. And he actually, got his daughter to record some old vinyl copies of, of Tuller and Kilfenora, Kaylee bands yeah. he had, had them on CD and sent them up. So I got this, and my guitar style, I think, started to develop, because they're all accompanied by piano, vamping piano, and that started to become a thing that I try and do. So Billy was a huge influence. So um, his, his idea was, for, for you hearing that style, that vampy yeah. style, that it would have an influence in, the, in your guitar playing? Oh, absolutely. I changed the way I was playing the backing together. I was, what, what, it, what do you what does that, what, what, what was, what changed? Oh, I was just moving the bass line. So the piano, the, in the Kaylee bands, the left hand of the piano is doing that sort of vamping, you know, so moving the bass. So I started to try and get that going on the guitar yeah, in okay. Dadgad by just sort of moving. Can you show us something? Well, I'm not Dadgad. Oh, yeah. I can maybe share it. So um, I could... Um, yeah, so you're sort of moving around, just trying to and follow the tune. Mm-hmm. But if you if you hear pianos backing tunes, you can hear what the left hand's usually doing, just moving that bass around and things like that. Yeah, all right. And 
Uh, that and then started to meet other people. Started to go to more and more sessions initially at the at the Quiet Man and just met other people. So um, you travelled down from Ballarat? Yeah, I was a school teacher, so I'd go down um, using the holidays. You know, you get three lots of holidays yeah. a year, so we'd go down on the Sunday and come back. Then, um, and sadly, um, Billy passed away, and sort of met a few other. Pe- the next big was Paddy. Uh, I met Paddy Fitzgerald. Got into the sessions at the Corkman which was a legendary session, you probably heard about, which preceded the last jazz sessions and and started to sort of get to know Paddy and a, f- a few of the, some of the people you've interviewed, you know, Mark Wilson and some of those people. And eventually that turned into what we called Melbourne Cayley Band, so which was Paddy and myself and a fiddle player we were playing at that time, Nicky Kramer, Ewan Baker, great fiddle player, Lanell Moran and um, a few, Tommy Cardi, another influence, I must mention Tommy. And... Uh, and we sort of just got involved with that whole scene. So even though I was living in Ballarat, I still sort of, and we did. And the Melbourne, Melbourne Kelly Band were a Yeah, and I was playing guitar and all of this too. So the tunes was like a side project. So you were working on the tunes in the background, isn't it? Yeah, you? always. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And on, yeah, right. on mandolin. Or tenor, I had a tenor banjo around that time too. Did you record anything with the, the Melbourne Kelly Band. Band? No, but we have just recently recorded some stuff with some... Um, with a band called Listen to Creve, which is a four-piece with uh, Paddy, Ewan Baker on fiddle, Jack Brennan on pipes and myself on guitar. And we all like school tutors. And we formed uh, to do Port Ferry probably three or four years ago. And we did gigs at Port Ferry. We did Malden. We've done a few other things. And we made a recording, which we're crowdfunding at the moment. Uh, I'll so, put the details on your, yeah. on your site, maybe. Yeah, yeah so, we will, absolutely. So yeah. We'll tell me about the crowdfunding. Uh, um, it's, it's called Paddy Fitzgerald and the Listener. It's the first time we believe Paddy's recorded a full album of music. And people, you know, the three of us have been playing with Paddy for years. It's just great stuff. Luke Plum recorded it. Oh, wow. Luke came, was over here and we recorded it one Sunday morning in Melbourne. You know, some of Paddy's classic sets. We haven't got a song from him. Oh, yes. fantastic! I won't tell you which one's an awesome Claire song. So, what's the uh, <laughs> what's the timeline on that? Uh, well, we're, we're sort of just we're, we're taking pre-orders when we say crowdfunding. You know, so it's, it's not a donation. We, we you'll get you'll get your CD yeah, posted to you. you know, and uh, it's, uh, Luke's got the tracks. Sort of, we've heard the preliminary mixes, and they sound great. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, definitely yeah. show notes. We'll have the yeah. link to the. So we're happy, and and you and set up you and Baker set up for the crowdfunding. We'll we'll give you the details. Brilliant. But to have Paddy recorded is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you then about your own um, background. Like, where did, did you grow up in Ballarat? I grew up in Ballarat. Yeah. Right. I've never yeah. gone far. I've, I've been away twice for a while as kids. The family, for some reason, moved up to the Mallee. And we, mm-hmm. we, and we had a few years up in Sea Lake, of all places. Dad was working for the paper. My dad worked in newspapers. Then we came back to Ballarat. Then when I started teaching, I was a primary teacher, and my first couple of years were in Portland. Um, but other than that, it's always been around Ballarat. My wife's grew up in Ballarat. We both grew up in Ballarat East, actually. So, we, so what's Ballarat? As a, for me, you know, if I'm trying to understand Australia and understand Victoria, how would you characterise Ballarat for me? Ballarat um, is a city that's at an hour or so from Melbourne now that probably wouldn't have existed except for the fact that we're sitting on one of the richest gold deposits yeah. in on the planet <laughs> and it became one of the richest cities in the world for a short period of time now we've got these massive Victorian buildings and things that were built just with the sheer wealth of the place yeah so it's a gold town yeah you know you probably wouldn't build a, a city of a hundred thousand 
that close to Melbourne, if you were actually planning it out, you'd probably have it somewhere else. Bendigo's the same. Yeah. What was it? What was it like to to grow up in for for you? Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, when I grew up in Ballarat, Melbourne was two hours or more away, was single lane, and and like when you got into the music scene, when we were all sixteen and seventeen, and you, you do your gigs in Ballarat, you play in the pubs and things like that. But um, now we're kind of like well, people commute. Thousands of people commute every day from Ballarat to Melbourne. You know, real estate's cheaper and so forth. So Ballarat just got closer and closer to Melbourne to the point where if you want to go to a show now, you know, see an artist perform, you just drive down, come back, sleep in your own bed. But that wasn't the case when I was a kid. It was more isolated. You know, it was a, a Does that trip. change the sense of a place in terms of community? And I think so. I've still got a, a pretty strong community. Uh, it's a... Interesting play. I've sort of never known it. It's got a wonderful history. I'm fascinated in Ballarat's history as well. And uh, I've always I worked in schools in Ballarat for most of the forty years, apart from two years in Portland. Schools in the Ballarat area. Mm-hmm. What, what attracted you to teaching? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I don't know. I was uh, finished school. And had a, yeah, I initially had dreams of sort of maybe doing other things. But my grandfather was. A what what, what did you dream of then? Oh, I was going to be a vet at one stage. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know, didn't put in the hours, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, but but I loved it. My, my grandfather was a teacher, and my uncle they were primary school teachers. Uh, interestingly, I, I went to Catholic schools in Ballarat, right through full Catholic education. My mother's from an Irish Catholic family, and um, but I only worked in the state system, which is where my grandfather and uncles on dad's side they both worked in state school teachers. So I only ever, I spent forty years working in the state education system. Yeah. When when you started teaching, was it always primary school kids you wanted to work with? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did have I had um, while I was teaching, I did an extra qualification in special education. So I had um, six years in a special setting with intellectually disabled mm-hmm. kids. I did that for about six years. Then I went back into mainstream. Mm-hmm. Not running schools. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. w- was it what you expected when you started? Like, like yeah. if you can remember, I mean, I know you've had a, a, a long career, so schools. I'm just kind of well, yeah, curious about. Yeah, what? I think it was kind of what I expected. It, it, it wasn't what I expected. Probably at the end of the forty years, that's, that's a very different sort of game. You know, was, my son's a primary school teacher, but I don't understand what he's talking about most of the time now with some of the the things that have been brought into the. Do you mean it's more technical more now? More technical, or? I think. More spread, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's very different. You know, you know, people were allowed to wing it a lot more back in the mm-hmm. late seventies. <laughs> and and <laughs> when when you progress through your career, right, and you become a, a head teacher. Yeah, I was a principal. Yeah. The principal, yeah. yeah. Um, what were the kinds of pressures that come with that? Because it because it always strikes me as Huge a pressure. pretty. Yeah. Well, the schools situation. I worked in were always in um, area communities that had you know, significant challenges. Mm-hmm. I don't know, well, just where you know, um, we had a lot of families that were doing it pretty hard. You know, we were often in officer housing areas and things like that. So, yeah, sorry, what kind of housing areas? Office of housing, so like public oh, housing okay, sort of areas. So, so we and one of the implications of that, if you're running a school, is that the clientele keeps changing. Because people don't stay in that housing for very long, so you've got a family that, like, every almost every Monday, every second Monday, in a large primary school I worked in, you'd have a new family on your doorstep because the houses turn over. Mm-hmm. So you had this massive sort of turnover of students yeah. and kids who you just get sorted out and they'd be off, and you'd have 
a new family coming, you have to sort of work through that stuff too. Yeah. How, how do you negotiate the, the emotional side of a job like that, right? Especially if you're seeing kids who are in challenging situations and for um, you personally, like as a oh, teacher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I was in a biggish school, you know, I had 30 staff, yes, you, you rely on the people around you and you know, people who get good at specific skills and things like that. But it, yeah, it takes, in the end, uh, I stopped doing it. You know, I moved from running a big primary school, I moved into the bureaucracy for a while and worked for the Department of Education, sort of as a manager and that sort of thing. So right. I probably became principal a bit young. <laughs> you know, it sounds heavy. I wasn't 40. And I don't know if anyone can... I mean, all jobs what, are hard. What, what, I'm not sort of suggesting it's harder than most. But, but you know, to, to be a principal of a school, I, I see some people going to that job now. You know, at the age I was in, I said, yeah, it's going to be a long haul till you get to your 60s. So. And, and, <laughs> and is the long haul about... Is, is it about if you start too young, you don't have the experience you need to kind of no, understand I don't, stuff, the, I, don't, I don't think you have... Well, some people might. I think a lot of people haven't got the emotional energy to go the distance. It's just the, the toll it takes just with sort of... You know, you do your best and you sort of work through a lot of cases. I just used to use this analogy that um, there's always a queue. Sometimes it's, it's a, a, you know, a metaphorical queue outside your door. There's always people in there and you might work on that queue for a month, but the queue doesn't get any less. Yeah. And at some stage when you're doing that job, you've got to realise that that queue's never going to less and you're going to have to step out at some stage. And so you I step did. out and somebody step else out. just takes over, but the queue stays the same length. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So uh, how was music kind of... Music was my escape. Right. Uh, literally. In fact, that's, that's a, a good point. For... The Lake School, the Irish music things to me was a parallel universe because I had this education system and, and a pretty full-on job managing 30 people and a school and all that sort of stuff. So when the school holidays came, I'd literally like step through this this door into this other world where there were these people that I'd who weren't teachers and, and I'd be playing music with someone on one side of me who was 18 and someone who's 75 on the other side and we haven't speaking the same language enjoying the same things and nothing to do with what I did professionally so it was very very important for me to do that mm-hmm. in that, that type of profession yeah it's funny yeah. you've kind of you've come around like you're using that you're using that part of your professional career here at Lake School though. You, yeah, you're, well, you're a mentor right I, I guess yeah I, I mean I, I felt a bit of a fight when they asked me to tip because you know all these kids that come in here um could play better than me <laughs> you know that some of them are bust staggeringly good you know this the stars in the lake program we we get you know three five kids each year in former kids you know 16 to 25 they're not all kids that's yeah and um and we form a band taking the port ferry and so just for anyone anyone listening what it is so during this week at the the lake school there is stars of the lake is the name of the program and how many kids in in the i've got three this year last year we had four four is probably Average, and it's one band. It's one band, and and some of them have n- not met before they get here. This year's have a bit. We used to audition it. We started in two thousand and six. We've had fifteen bands since then. I've, I took one year out um, a few years back. I've, I've mentored the other fourteen, I think. So what what's then the, the process for a band? If, so I know you you did audition some but what, what's the process we, we, now? in the early days when I was working with A. Kelly used to run this project and Felix Marr from the Lake School Port Ferry sponsored the, the mm-hmm. program and they give us a gig every year 
I think we've up to over 60 young musicians have been through it. Some of them have gone on to do amazing things, you know, in different uh, bands and individuals. And I think you've interviewed a couple of them. You had Michelle Doyle, mm-hmm. um, Katie Brennan. Yeah, they've all been involved in the program over yeah. the years and, and a few others that you probably know as well. And um, so they, we bring them together here. We started, initially we auditioned. Uh, it's probably got more to a scouting sort of thing now where we've got people out there, some of the tutors here. A, a great source has been some of the students, that, that, that the members we've had in things, telling us about other people that yeah. they meet in their sessions and things and giving us the heads up on them. Yeah. And um, So yeah, and what, then what's your approach over the week? Uh, well, they can all play, and, and we've got four days. It's not even a week. Yeah. They, they'll do a concert here on Tuesday, so they've got four full days to prepare that. And I, I, con- I have contact with them before they get here, and sometimes we meet if we can and just have it. So what I tell them uh, is that to do a set for a concert in that time frame, we're going to rely on individuals on the, the pieces that we do to carry like 80% of the weight. So it's got to be a song or a tune they know, and we'll get the rest of these people around you to do harmonies. Or company. We'll, we'll, we'll arrange it because we haven't got much time to work with. We haven't really got a whole lot of time to learn things from scratch. Yeah. So it's some, they'll bring one or two pieces each, party pieces if you like, something they know really well, and we'll elaborate. Occasionally we get members who have had work together. We've had a couple of siblings and things like that. That's a real bonus because yeah. they've, you know, they've got the fiddle and flute worked out together yeah. and that sort of thing. So, Are there any kind of reoccurring challenges that you, you, you find yeah. need to come up with? Yeah, um, distance has been a huge one. Like last year, I think you saw Aurea, the mm-hmm. group we had last year, but... The four girls, two of them, two sisters from Bensdale, a girl from Camperdown, and a girl from Mildura. Right. So that, uh, we've had a couple from Adelaide. Kate Brennan, when she was, did the program, was living in Adelaide and her sister. So we sort of overcome. So distance and rehearsals, technology is a big thing. So we, you know, they share, they're pretty good at it now. Yeah. A band called Amber, fantastic, um, like a string quartet a couple of years ago, and they were doing arrangements via Facebook Messenger, just recording the fiddle lines and Brilliant. I just followed them it's yeah. staggering and that's right that, it's, it's hard too because they've got the concert then on the Tuesday here yep. and then well, Port Ferry's Port not Ferry's for in, it, it's six in weeks six weeks yeah. we'll probably get together well typically we get together once in that time depending on their location mm. this year the girls are a little bit closer we've got um, three girls one from Port Arlington one from Camperdown and one from Tarangway so and they we might be able to get a couple yeah. of goes at it this year. And then, I, they'll need to extend their repertoire for Port Ferry because they'll, they'll probably get like eight pieces up for Tuesday's concert here. Uh, but unless they want, you know, they'll, they'll want probably you know, another half a dozen. Because Port, Port Ferry's Ferry. a, an hour slot. Well, no, well, they'll probably be a similar slot, but they'll probably get at least three gigs. So unless you want to do the same thing three times, okay, you'll, you'll yeah. need some options to move things in and out and that sort of thing. And then we'll... Will, the, will that band go on to play at Port Arlington then? Um, yeah, Una, that... Una McAlinden has, has been very generous and look, all the bands we've formed here have performed at Port Arlington yeah, uh, when they've been at, one wasn't able to perform um, but all the others have gone on to perform there and some of them more than once some of them have been invited back to perform yeah, the right. second time so uh, National Catholic Festival has been a great supporter of the program too. Well, I'll put links in the show notes about this, but w- w- is it the best place to, f- to learn more about it through the Lake School website? Uh, the stars? Well, stars, if, if people were interested, it, uh, the, the thing about it is um, 
it's for the high potential young players. So, so they're probably people who have been played who get picked up by teachers and things like that. We can't. The last thing we want to do is put someone in with a group with a whole lot of people who can play. Yeah, way better. Unless that's very stressful, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. So, so but we've got to try and match up. Have yeah. four, three or four people in a room this size for four days. It's what an experience. It's fantastic. I've got the, you know, like the best job. And you, and you just see this creative process and putting their minds to it, and you hear these and just see them, the brains ticking over, and yeah. and you see some individuals like you recognise the brilliant musicians, but the other thing I've got to see is the brilliant arrangers the ones who can hear what other people can do and suggest it and actually put these ensembles together. And, and there's been a few, you know, their, their music just sort of sits there and it's great, but they've got another level. that They, they, they can sort of hear what other people can play and suggest it yeah. and bring it out. And that's, that's I love the thought that you get <laughs> yeah. your own private mentoring yeah. in reverse. Yeah, but sometimes I just sort of sit back and just watch it happen, go do and you, make a cup of tea for them. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you ever find yourself um, in a situation where you, you think, I'm not sure this is working, but you have that dilemma of that every parent is probably familiar with, which is um, allowing youngsters to make their own mistakes do you know what I mean and yeah. it might not be a mistake but like you know what I mean like there's a stylistic tension or yeah a... a little bit yeah I mean there's there's a fair bit of pressure on this one to actually produce a fairly polished act you know to, because it, not that we we expect them to go beyond their capacity but you know they, they'll be on it they want to feel good about what they take on a professional stage at Port Ferry yeah because they'll know the difference if it's not because I'll see the, the, the context they're in at those festivals, seeing what the other acts are like. If they take one there that's not at the, a reasonably high level, they'll know. I, no one has to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they've all got good enough years to hear that. So you've got to be able to get them to that level. And the other thing we work on a lot is, depending on their level of experience, is stagecraft and sound checks, things like things that they might have taken for granted that you'd Completely. when you get up there, there's actually a lot, of, lot to think about. Yeah, there's a minefield of yeah. Even just talking on. between... Between the items, yeah. that's probably been one of the biggest challenges. Do you oh. have patter? Like, yeah. We're going to work on our patter today. All right, Johnson, well, you stand up and give yeah. us a story. So the, the, the line I come up with is, is uh, "Plan it, so, and then to so come out like it's not planned." Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, so, so plan it, but, but Very, then, then well, deliver it like it's not hasn't been planned. So that's, that's what you're aiming for. Well rehearsed spontaneity. <laughs> yes, is, is the, 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 the order of the game. Um, do you fancy doing a tune on the guitar, or uh, or, a, or another mandolin tune? I can do probably on the mandolin. I don't. I, I used to flat pick some American tunes, but I can't really remember at the moment. But I'm in standard. I used to. It was a bluegrass thing I did for. I was flat pick, but I probably can't. Probably better on the mandolin. I'd love I, to hear. Yeah. It. Avoid playing a reel. I probably should play a reel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, play a reel then. I'll put you in the spot. Eh? Um, that's just an old one. This is um, The Wise Maid.
going on the end of that last one Paddy Faze Paddy Faze uh, which is the first tune on the Martin Hayes album The Lonesome Touch it is Touch. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny we come back around Beautiful to Martin real. Hayes yeah. oh, it's, it's gorgeous mm. he it's passed a, away last year Paddy I, I, that's right yeah a hundred around the time when we were talking to Eileen O'Brien I think because I mm. think they mentioned yeah. it um, mm. in June last year mm. I think it was he he had this oh, everyone knows I guess he is didn't like naming the tunes that like Paddy Faye's number five and six and uh-huh. they also, yeah, everything it was that. just Paddy Faye's jig Paddy Faye's horn pipe it's <laughs> quite um, for somebody who has a, a very unsystematic mind like myself I find that very reassuring you know it's kind of just like what was that I, I don't know it was barely recorded apparently I think there's one recording around but you know, all those wonderful tunes and perhaps somehow they got into the into the network yeah, yeah. It, there is there's something very um there's something interesting about the idea that tunes <laughs> like that that would generally not be recorded kind of are carried through yeah. people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that's yeah. Is that to my, yeah? Look, he wrote hundreds of tunes apparently, and they're played everywhere. Uh huh. Yeah. But not recorded by him. No. Yeah. Well, there might have been one recording, but not. not yeah. And not what not. instrument did he play? He was a was he a fiddle player? I think fiddle player, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's a fiddle player. Just on the topic of writing, because I think because we all got a bit upset when you sang your song, we and it's my fault. We, we moved away from it very quick. So just going back to this songwriting, you've the song. What was the name of the song you wrote? Sparkle and shine. Sparkle and shine. Like just incredibly gorgeous. Well, what's your process for writing? Uh, well, I need to rediscover it because I haven't written much in the last five or six years at all. Um, I'm a guitarist, so I find that like a song like that, I'd be just noodling around and find the chord progression. You know, that started with that that riff before I sang and things like that. So that I would have had that as an instrumental probably, and then been happy with it as an instrumental, and then bolted the words on yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, maybe didn't get an idea. The other thing with lyrics, um, I always figured if you can't write a song, you can always write a title, so you can write the song later. So I'd often write this, write a title, and then that was one of those. You know, then sitting around for maybe a year or two, and then you get around to writing the song because the title is actually it's often like the punchline. It's uh, so I would so say the, t- the title would be the hardest part yeah, of it. Yeah. So you, yeah, I like to convince myself, the job's half done. I've done the title. <laughs> like it doesn't that. work out that, that way. It doesn't work out that way. Yeah, it takes a lot of for me. It takes a lot of um, writing it, and then um, it's like a car engine. I suppose you've still got to play them in. Yeah, like if you play them wherever you can to other people and things like that for six months and you do them like if you do them 20 times you'll probably change the thing 10% yeah. you'd change the phrasing you might even change the chord or something like that the melody might even change a bit so you, 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 you've got it and then you sort of work it in until it eventually it sort of settles down yeah right yeah. Is, it, is it ever scary for you airing a new song Oh yeah, ter- depends what it's about. <laughs> can be terrifying, yeah. So depending what it's about, there's some of them have seen the light of day. I can tell you. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Except. Yeah. Uh, and and when when you um you have your title, you have a a, well, that's a few method. fragments of tune. But yeah. like, is there um is there a moment of like sturm und drang that kind of makes you want to go and actually write the the actual? Oh yeah. Type, it, like. It, there seems to be this threshold for me, where you sit around, and you procrastinate, and you, you know, and you got the tune and that, and then one day you sort of 
something that a verse might fall into place and you say, right, it's, I can see the finish line. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and you sort of you know, work it through. And, yeah. Have you recorded any? Uh, no, not really. Uh, some of my songs have been recorded by a few other people yeah. and that sort of thing. So um, just different. And di- I've written, I had a bit of a project a few years ago where I wrote some uh, sort of Irish connection, Irish Australian with Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, we yeah, wrote some songs to, together, but um, I've forgotten how a lot of yeah. And they're very long, you know, they're, they're stories. You, Kevin finds great stories in the, yeah. the song. So that was sort of like a, a very folky type thing, but I don't always write. So they sort of write whatever. And that was something that you toured with Kevin, was it? Did, is it was oh, no, Kevin and I did. We did a, we did a set at uh, Malden a couple of years ago with Kevin. Kevin's fantastic. He gets all this wonderful research and things like that. And yeah. he gives me... He's, he's here this week and he's already dropped another idea. You know, he's a new, a new I'll idea. get an email with all the newspaper clippings, yeah. all the backstory. It's fantastic. I know you said you probably can't remember, but is there one... Is there any of them you can remember you could, you could give us as one last song? Um, if, I, if you let me open my book, I might. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. We'll allow it. <laughs> Usually very strict... I mentioned Dennis O'Keefe earlier, who um, was a songwriting tutor down here, and I wrote this song, and um, it's one that Dennis used to really like. It's probably probably he, it shows his influence, and it's a song um, about some research I did. Kevin didn't do this uh, about the house we lived in in Ballarat, and we found out uh, um, we lived very near the Eureka Stockade. you know about the Eureka Stockade and the history of that? We were in Ballarat East. And we found, um, for a friend of mine who was researching, they were trying to find the location of the Eureka Stockade. And he found that our house had had an eyewitness who was there when she was 13 years old, a girl from Scotland by the name of Agnes Gregg. And the only reason she came to light is he found in the Argus on the 50th anniversary of the Eureka Stockade, she was interviewed and talked about her recollections of her time, you know, on what she called Free Trade Hill, which is this hill, our house in Ballarat East lived, and my wife and I lived there um, for 10 years, and some of our children were, we were living there when they were born. Anyway, we found this woman had witnessed the Eureka Stockade. Then I did some research on her family, not so much on the Stockade, and found where she'd come from in Scotland, a place called Kirkcotty, is it? Kirk- yeah, Kirkcotty. Kirkcotty. Yeah, so I've got Kirkcotty. I found a rhyme for Kirkcotty. <laughs> yeah, and um, and she she lived there and eventually passed away there, and the house sort of moved into our family over the years, and um, I sort of found out a bit about she she had some children and she lost the only boy that she had uh, didn't live for very long, and and you know the death certificate showed that he was his place of death was Free Trade Hill, and this name had disappeared from Ballarat Free Trade Hill, and uh, we kind of um, were able to bring it back yeah because it, it was and people in Ballarat just hadn't heard of it anyway the um she never left this place and I guess the song I've used a bit of a stretch of imagination I suppose to think what might have been in her mind throughout her time there so we'll start in Ballarat and move on
I was only ten years old. I left thy sweet Kirkcaldy for a place across the sea where we could be somebody. My father chased the gold down south. We followed him until we reached a place I'd never leave on top of Free Trade Hill. There's trouble on the field that year. The boys from Tipperary, as the days grew long and hot, were filled with sad forbearing. The soldiers came by cloak and night. Twenty men were killed. I saw the flash of rifles from the top of Free Trade Hill. If I were a churchyard tree, so much that I would know. But love and fear and holding on, things that come and go. But I guess that everybody gets to have a few unanswered prayers. The greatest thing we ever have, someone. Never far away, gold is only fleeting. On my knees I beg the Lord, please keep that small heart beating. By the time the sun comes up, the morning cold and still. My baby boy has been and gone up here on Free Trade Hill. Don't have much but memories that I can leave behind. This ragged family Bible, battle I can find. The winter sun is falling on my dusty windowsill. I wonder where the years have gone up here on Free Trade Hill. If I were an eagle, climb high in the sky and cross the sea to Scotland one last time before I die. But I guess that everybody gets to have a few unanswered prayers. The greatest gift we ever have, someone who really cares. When the sun is falling on my dusty windowsill, I wonder where the 
years have gone up here on Free Trade Hill. You're some singer. I mean, your voice has got a lot in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I didn't sing at all till I, I don't know, till I was thirty or forty. I yeah, know. it's. I, I like easier to sing your own songs. I think. I don't know. You, it's got. Um, Thank you. It's a lot of depth in your in your voice. Uh, I was interested about that song, and you mentioned archive material and newspapers yeah. and stories and things where. You know, and research and things, and then I was thinking about your your dad was a newspaper man. Aye, yeah, different era. Yeah, aye, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aye. he was a news. Yeah, so yeah. Like we grew up, we knew all about newspapers. But yeah, I I did that research probably in the eighties, where I had used to go down to the library. I was on long service leave for a term. I go down to the library and get all the old volumes of the Ballarat Courier out. And aye. The other thing I should mention, I really one thing I really proud of in that song is verse two, that the the, the article from the Argus where Agnes. Greg, who became Agnes Franks when she married, um, was quoted. I, I snuck a couple of her, some of her words into the song, which I thought was kind of nice. I bet she never knew that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. The soldiers came by cloak and night, 20 men were killed. She saw, you saw the flash of rifles from the top of Free Trail. That, she said that. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you for sitting down to talk to us. It's a pleasure. Can I ask you one more thing? Would you do one more mandolin for us? Anything at all you fancy? Um, I'll try a jig. What about a really fast one? <laughs> a really fast one? Yeah, I'll put that song. I'll like, right. my head roll. I will. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a real. Um, this is, this is the, the, I was just being a cheeky. cheeky I'd like to do maybe the corner house. MacArthur. As we kind of got to, and it's a bit hard in, in the situation, but that song that Jeff sang in the middle, where I mentioned that we're teary, that was a that was a that was a powerful moment. I I don't know if that will land how it landed in the room that day, but there was three fully grown men in in fully um, I don't want to say in tears, so that kind of trivialised it, but it hit us all on a very different note. I think Jeff obviously is very familiar with that tune. Maybe he was a bit caught up in. And us two being a bit carried away. I don't get carried away. You know what I mean? I just don't. I, may, I did when I was a drinking man, when I was hungover. 
it was very fragile but I just I don't tend to that much and I, I did that day so Jeff thanks for that that uh, tune will stay definitely with me anyway for for a while and then as I watch my boys come up it's gonna raise its head again and I'm yeah. sure it'll sting me in the bum one time down the road but yeah thanks again mate yeah really sparkle and shine that's the song that uh, that we're talking about there so and just a reminder again about the wildfire fundraiser which is happening at the last jar in Elizabeth Street this Saturday January the 18th 2020 and um, yeah it starts at five in the afternoon and all funds from ticket sales and the aforementioned karma kegs which we still haven't figured out what they are uh, raffles and things will be going directly to the country fire authority and as I mentioned next week's episode of the Blarney Pilgrims podcast will all being well uh, be a recording of that gig and all funds from patrons will also go to the country fire authority so looking forward to that and for now thanks again to Jeff MacArthur good luck hi my name is Rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you